get me. From Studio A in Arcata, behind the Redwood Curtain, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Clips, the original comedy soundcast featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And here's your host from up the coast, practically unknown outside of comedy soundcasting, comedy soundcast soundcaster, Tyson Saner. Salutan, it's just me, Tyson Saner, your host for the duration of this Clips episode of Suckatash, the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast. Thank you for deciding to make us your destination listening for about an hour of your life in as many chunks as you desire. That's part of the charm of the Soundcast. You listen whenever you want to. It's entirely your choice, and I'm grateful for your having made it so far. I only wish to provide a service, if the need still exists as you're listening to this. And that service is to provide you with longer than 30-second previews of other people's soundcasts, or, or podcasts, as many people may or may not be calling them as you listen to this. So, in this episode, I've got clips of the following soundcasts. Cosmic Love. Dylan Brody's Neighbor's Couch Revisited. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. The Future History of the British Isles. Smoshcast. And The Underculture with James Adomian. I've also got another triple shot of Rage and Moderate Will Durst Bursa Durst. And selected readings from that 100% fake sponsor with a 100% real website, which is TrumPoetry.com. That is capital T-R-U-M, capital P-O-E-T-R-Y dot com. Before we get to the first segment, which will be our first burst of durst for the show, I'd like to share something with you, the listener. I recently received an email from executive producer Mark Hershon. I will be sharing part of that with you, edited for content, but not context. Tyson, it reads... First off, you've been doing a bang-up job as the host of Succotash, so where I'm going with this has nothing to do with that. But, as we nudge ever closer to episode 200 of the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast, I've been thinking about whether there's a call or a need for the show to continue. When I originally conceived of the show, Podcasting in Danger of Dying, 15% of people in the U.S. had even heard of a podcast, and fewer than that were actually listening to them on a regular basis. And there seemed to be no media really covering the growing phenomenon, so I decided to create a vehicle to help publicize the comedy side of the nascent industry which seemed to, in some way, help get the word out. And the podcasters in particular enjoyed having a place that would play clips and talk them up. Both you and I have made lifelong friends as a result of our efforts with the show. It's true. It's true. Um, Sorry, that was me. Uh, But the industry has taken hold in a big way. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's becoming more and more corporate each year, it seems, with the podcast networks gobbling up existing shows and producing new ones like crazy. Not to mention the enormous amount of little guys, finger quotes, getting into the game every week. So, it seems the original mandate behind our show has been outstripped at this point. Hmm. If there's anything the Suckatash can serve now, it's in making sure the smaller fish are getting some exposure. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be anything that anyone, in terms of sponsors, is keen to pay for. Nor are the networks interested in bringing us in with that purpose. Hmm. All of that said, I don't want to abruptly pull the plug. We should have a chat soon and discuss our options. Perhaps you want to take it over, lock, stock, and empty barrel. Or maybe we decide to have a once and final finale for episode 200 and then walk away. Curious to hear your thoughts on the future of Sagatash and to help me decide what we should do. Cheers, Mark. So, after much deliberation on both our parts, both Executive Mark Hershon and I have decided that the best decision is to create more episodes until we reach 200, and then the show will go on hiatus. That is the plan, and it can change depending on what develops between now and then. Let's get to the show. Right? Right. Leading the pack, it's the first burst of Durst from July the 4th, 2019. And it's called 2019 4th of July, in which our intrepid correspondent sings the joys of summer. Hey guys, 
Will Durst here to talk about the 4th of July. Undeniably dead solid summer. A red, white, and blue arrow to the bullseye of patriotism when we celebrate the anniversary of the birth of our country by drinking a lot of beer and blowing stuff up real good. That's the thing about summer. It's loud. Fireworks and motorcycles and outdoor concerts and the high-pitched shrieks of kids in pools or passengers at the gates of overbooked flights. And summer heightens the other senses as well. Lemonade's so tart it makes your tonsils pucker. Eating corn on the cob and feeling the butter slide right down your arm to drip off your elbow. Sand getting caught in the pasty colored folds of flesh the layers of winter clothing have masked for eight months. Summer is also the tinny mantra of a baseball game, squawking out of a speaker of an AM radio while barefoot at a barbecue eating potato salad that's been left out in the sun all day, sweating like a stuck pig and waving brooms at mosquitoes the size of footstools. And summer is supposed to be fun, which can cause a kind of frenzy of anxiety as we become so determined to have a good time we're forced to take a vacation to recover from our vacation. Meteorologists say that summer begins at the solstice, which is defined by when the sun takes its most northerly path across the sky, from the Latin for stand still. Well, that may be the astronomical beginning of summer in the northern hemisphere, but summer is less of a fixed date and more of a state of mind. One that begins when the bell rings for the last class on the final day of school and runs until the sun sets the night before the fall semester begins. So happy 243rd birthday, America. You know what? In the right light, you don't look a day over 235. For Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, I'm Will Durst. Our first soundcast offering for the show is called Cosmic Love, and it was sent by Amy Thorstenson. I received a promo for Cosmic Love Season 2, which was sent via the Hightail app service, and it came with the message, Hi, I'd love for you to check out my podcast, Cosmic Love. It's a scripted sci-fi show with a lot of comedy elements, so I think it would be a good fit for Suckatash. I attached a five-minute trailer of Season 2 here, which just launched a couple weeks ago. Let me know if you have any questions. All the best. Amy, and then uh, her website, which is trapstreet.co. That's co forward slash Amy hyphen Thorstenson. I'll spell that later. So I listened to the promo, and I was intrigued. We don't normally play promos on Suckatash, so instead I listened to a couple episodes from early on in the show's run and took a clip from there. So, this clip is from the very first episode. I thought it might be nice to hear what the uh, show, that is the show within the show, yeah, you'll, you'll understand in a moment, might have typically sounded like before the oncoming calamity. Broadcasting live from Pleasure Sphere 64. Introduce Madame Alexandra with Cosmic Love. Good evening, ladies and tentacle monsters. You're listening to Cosmic Love, your best source for sex advice and the news of the day from Pleasure Sphere 64. I'm your host, Madame Alexandra. You may know me from Alexandra's House of Excitement down on Deck 10, where we have something for everyone. And our nightly review is guaranteed the hottest spot in the 40-deck region. Madame Alexandra's. if you're not satisfied, we take it so hard. I'm broadcasting to you live from my dungeon on Deck 19. I know what kind of dungeon is up on the 19th floor. Well, honey, it's all in the manacles. 
We have some exciting listener questions tonight and a special handsome guest later on, so let's get all that pesky news out of the way. The weather is expected to remain at an ambient 28 on all beach levels, except, of course, for the Ammonia Sea on Deck 79. I know how you Titanians like it. The Eoleria on Deck 38 has, with regret, canceled the Gamma Eel cooking lesson tonight due to an outbreak of eel flu. To all guests who had signed up, the owner offers his apologies and a coupon good for one free eel burger at any Eoleria in the quadrant. Now, I'm sure you've all heard about the recent attacks on Pleasure Sphere 36 and Pleasure Sphere 12, where Marfikian terrorists forcibly re-educated hundreds of hostages over objections to the, let's say, hedonistic, bent of the whole Pleasure Sphere setup. I mean, yeah, you didn't come to a Pleasure Sphere for self-flagellation. Unless that's what you're into, of course. In which case, can I interest you in some manacles? But I have to tell you, guys... This whole Marfikian thing pisses me off worse than an Ellurian during water sports. I mean, you don't see me invading their clubhouse with an acoustic bomb telling them to stop praying and depriving themselves of fun. So maybe they can do me a favor and get their grimy flippers off my badge. Sorry to rant. I just find the whole thing very upsetting. But, and this is very important, that does not mean that we're in danger here, monkeys. You do not need to pack up your bags and go home. You need to ignore the fearmongers and enjoy the rest of your vacation. So enough time wasted talking about those asshats. Let's get to our questions. Here's our first listener question of the night. My name is Susie 2.5. I'm from Iota Dare, and I'm 436 years young. I, okay, I married my husband 80 years ago, and at the time he told me he was Zertraxian, and he certainly looked Zertraxian. Those long, sexy horns, blue spots, and the whole deal. He was yummy. But in the last 10 years, his spots have turned magenta, his horns are shrinking, he's got three more blowholes. Yeah, not so Zertraxian now, right? He claims, this is all news to him too, that when his parents left him on Trillium 9, they told him he was Zertraxian. But I don't know if I should believe him. And either way, I'm a lot less attracted to him and our sex life has become non-existent. But I do love him, I don't want to give up on our marriage. I don't know what to do. Hi, Susie. Here's what you do. First, you have to think about how important it is to you that he genuinely thought he was Zertraxian when he married you, or if he was just lying because you were into Zertraxians and he wanted to get in your pants. And don't take that decision lightly, by the way. Once you know something like that, you can't unknow it. Unless, of course, you splurge on a cosmic cocktail at Nebula Gym's Nebula Gym's Liquor Emporium on the 37th floor. So if you decide you must know if those wretched blowholes are growing with malice aforethought, then get you and your husband's sexy asses down to the all-seeing eye on deck 17, and that bitch will let you know straight up. And after the whole objective truth thing comes out, insofar as it ever does, honey, you have a few choices. You could say, so long, baby. These loins long for 100% natural horns and no substitutions. Marriage over. Or, and really, this is my personal recommendation, you can learn to love what I suspect is half Gromesian in his middle stage of development. You've got about four more blowholes and some pretty gnarly molting coming up. But after that, 
he's gonna settle into his final form. And I gotta tell you, final stage Gromesians are some of my favorite lovers. You know what you can stick into eight blowholes, darling? Anything you want. So think about it. Have fun. Best of luck. So Amy Thorstensen is on her website, and again, that is trapstreet.co forward slash Amy hyphen Thorstensen, and uh, that is T-R-A-P-S-T-R-E-E-T dot C-O forward slash A-M-Y hyphen T-H-O-R-S-T-E-N-S-O-N. And she can be reached on Twitter at littlest underscore Viking, that is L-I-T-T-L-E-S-T underscore V-I-K-I-N-G. And the show is also hosted on toplessrobot.com. That is T-O-P-L-E-S-S-R-O-B-O-T. On Twitter, it's Topless Robo. Everything I just said without the T. Next up, Dylan Brody's Neighbor's Couch Revisited. Now, Darren Staley has sent me a, a good amount of clips, and I do like listening to the show. And I'll be honest, if people send me more clips, just as Darren does, um, they'd also likely end up on the show. As, uh, as long as it's not a promo, uh, which is basically a, a commercial. And I, don't get me wrong, I love those. I think they're very well made and they're clever. And they, they work, they get me interested. But generally speaking, Succotash doesn't run promos. So I received a clip from Darren Staley. It's from the show uh, from June 8th, 2019, where their guest was Robert Wool. So real quick, uh, the description of the show is the tale of how a joke between friends on Twitter turned into an unexpectedly successful podcast. It's true. And uh, the episode description reads, wide-ranging conversation with Mr. Robert Wool. It would almost be shorter to listen to things we didn't discuss. His career in stand-up comedy, his TV game show acumen, his apprehension about social media, Good Morning Vietnam, music and film, Cobb, Arliss, and assumed the position with Mr. Wool. Plus, a very funny exchange between Robert and Dylan regarding Dylan's poor marketing skills. As a bonus, you get to hear the dialogue that Dylan wrote for Robin Williams that was discussed on the show. In this clip, guest Robert Wool remembers writing jokes for Rodney Dangerfield, and the topic of, quote, comedic responsibility, end quote, is discussed. But a week ago, I get this thing in the mail, which he had kept laminated of the envelope and the, the jokes that I wrote in 1976 for him. In 1976. Wow. She sent it to me, says, you know, he always liked this, you know, it's like, well, you're, yeah, I think you should have it. And it's like, oh, I remember. The, and by the way, there, there are some good jokes on that list, probably 50 jokes, but there's three or four that today would get, you couldn't do. You couldn't right. do. You know, for some of them, some of them for the better, because uh, some of them were um, playing too easily on a stereotype, too easily. Um, so you probably wouldn't do them now. You know, uh, you probably would. But there was a couple others I couldn't do, probably, that are pretty damn funny. And, and yeah. first of all, you should do them, but you can catch shit for them. It's interesting. But most of them, good jokes are good jokes, usually. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a topic that's been ongoing with this podcast about comedic responsibility and times changing, things like that. I, I think you're the first person who has said you didn't just come out with, you did say, I probably couldn't do this joke today. But you also said, I probably shouldn't do this joke today. I, I think I think a lot of comedians, like a joke that would have worked... I'm a big fan of of Eddie Murphy. Those uh, raw and delirious. Right. That that was my child. I love that stuff. Obviously, if you do some of that stuff today, a should it have been done then? That's a, that's a different question. 
but but I think it's that's very interesting that that you came up that you didn't just say I couldn't do that today. You also said I shouldn't do that today. I think that's a very interesting. It's a subtle difference, but it's also a big difference. Does that make sense? Well, yes, yes, they're definitely again being discriminate. There is a difference. Yeah, when you say couldn't, there's a difference between couldn't when somebody says they wouldn't allow me to do this joke. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't puts the burden more on, I would think, the active participant in meaning I shouldn't do this joke. Now, that's a decision you have to make personally. But understand, of course, if I say shouldn't, what what does that mean? You shouldn't do it because it'll backfire on you professionally. You you shouldn't do it because you have a you feel morally it's not a good it's not fair. You shouldn't do it because you know, you know, you're going to offend somebody at some point, but, uh, or you shouldn't do it because, you know, but your point is well taken. There's a difference. I think shouldn't, I think shouldn't puts more on the person doing or couldn't puts a, puts like an iron wall around you. It sounds like the the man isn't going to let you do it. (laughs) You know, you couldn't do the joke. They would not clear this joke. The other one is saying, even if they did clear this joke, do you really want to do it? And uh, I don't believe the show has a Twitter at the moment, but you can hashtag it Couch Revisited. That is hashtag capital C-O-U-C-H, capital R-E-V-I-S-I-T-E-D. Their guest, Robert Wool, can be reached at Robert Wool. That is capital R-O-B-E-R-T, capital W-U-H-L. Darren Staley is at Crowbama on Twitter, capital C-R-O-B-A-M-A. And Dylan Brody is all lowercase D-Y-L-A-N-B-R-O-D-Y. And why not check out their company, Active Voice Productions, while you're at it? That is on Twitter at capital A-C-T-I-V, capital V-O-I-C-E, capital P-R-O-D. All right. Our next offering this evening is from Bullseye with Jesse Thorne from NPR. The description reads, Bullseye from NPR is your curated guide to culture. Jesse Thorne hosts in-depth interviews with brilliant creators, culture picks from our favorite critics, and irreverent original comedy. Bullseye has been featured in Time, The New York Times, GQ, and McSweeney's, which called it, quote, the kind of show people listen to in a more perfect world. And in parentheses, formerly known as The Sound of Young America. Mm -hmm. So this clip is from their upload from August 6th, 2019, which is with actor and musician Jeff Goldblum. Episode description reads, there's no one else on the planet quite like Jeff Goldblum. He came onto the scene over four decades ago with the role of freak number one in the 1974 revenge fantasy Death Wish. Since then, he's appeared in countless films, television, and theater productions, including Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Portlandia, The Fly, and as everyone's favorite chaos mathematician in Jurassic Park. Chances are, he's a part of one of your favorite movies. Jeff joins us to talk about his new film, The Mountain, his iconic past roles, and his latest role as a new father. Hmm. Now, this clip has to do with the inner life of the character Mr. Goldblum is playing, uh, portraying in The Mountain, as well as the bits about becoming a new father, because I happen to find that very relatable. It would be one thing if he was simply performing this somewhat brutal surgical procedure on people. Yeah. But there have been a lot of strange and misguided medical procedures pursued over the, yeah. you know, millennia. Yes. One of the things that makes this story so distressing is that this was a procedure that was like past its sell-by date that was like being pursued just after it had started to be figured out that maybe there were things you could do for mental health that were real medical treatments. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that it exists in this liminal space between 
like medieval and modern medicine. Yes. Did you think about to what extent he believes himself to be doing the right thing? Yes, I did. Like I talked about a little bit just before. Yeah, I think he was still uh, conflicted and uh, inflamed and uh, had some kind of storm going on inside whereby, yeah, he was still asking himself, what have I done? Have I done any good? Even though it's fallen, it used to, I used to be on the cover of Life magazine and they thought I was good. And the guy who I sort of borrowed this from in Europe won the Nobel Prize several years ago. Uh, could it be that this is, that I'm doing harm? Uh, you know, it's, it's Arthur Miller, like I say, dealt with that in All My Sons and, and in uh, Death of a Salesman. You know, am I doing right, Ben? What should I, what should I be telling my boys? I want to... I want to te teach them the right thing. Am I doing the right thing? I'm beset with doubt. Uh, I think there's all of that probably, but uh, but like the American adventure in Vietnam, uh, there were people involved in that, I'll bet, because uh, I've recently seen the whole of that, that Ken Burns documentary. Um, there were people involved in that who well past, like you say, the shelf life of uh, reasonable, reasonableness and, and defendability – uh, knew that they were uh, lying and uh, and doing great harm, but had other you know considerations and, and prideful masculine uh, ideas about uh, once you go once you sally forth you must uh, stay the course because that's what we must do. <laughs> it's happened before and. Uh, and it's uh, it's it'll happen again. It may be happening now. I think uh, y you know that's what Rick Alverson, who has strong feelings about our, our culture, uh, may be up to: waking people up and disrupting their confidence in uh, fairy tales. Uh, you know, and I read during this during the uh, filming of this. Uh, this movie, I read this book by Kurt Anderson called Fantasyland or How America Went Haywire that really kind of illuminated a lot of uh, what we were trying to talk about, I, I, I realized. And right now, as I'm, ta as I'm kind of talking to press people again and kind of re revisiting it and talking about it and thinking about it again, uh, um, much to my satisfaction, it's, I, I, these issues are interesting to me. I'm reading these Yuval Harari books that I'll bet you've read, uh, Sapiens and uh, uh, Homo Deus. Now I'm on the third one. Uh, and he talks a lot about things that overlap issues in this movie uh, and and made up invented stories about nationalism and religion and uh, economics and uh, and values that uh, are simply invented that have their uh, their benefits and their definite dangers you yourself are in your mid 60s and you have two kids relatively yeah. recently yeah four year old and a two year old two boys have you considered your own life retrospectively at all? That's two big yeah. kind of occasions for doing so. Yeah. Yeah. Two big, two big, you mean the two kids or well, two, two other? Well, I mean, What's both, the other occasion? both hitting your mid sixties and, oh, yes. and having kids. I mean, they don't, of, they don't often happen at the same time, Yeah, but that's two biggies. 
Right. Getting getting up there and having kids. Yeah. Uh, yes, it has. It's focused my and uh, intensified and clarified my <laughs> thinking, at least my appetite to think clearly about one thing or another. I'm trying. I'm I'm trying my best about uh, yeah about large things. About if if if, if many of my ideas that I've uh, floated upon are uh, half baked, and you know, and what uh, I'm gonna you know expose them to, either intentionally or not. You know, uh, what I'll mo- be modeling for them. You know, it it's all brings it into focus. Do you have kids? Yeah, I have three. No kidding. How old are they? There's seven about to turn eight, uh-huh. uh, five, and two. Oh, so boy, oh boy, we're something in the in the same uh, ballpark. Yeah, just this very day, I'm not home. They're in L.A. I go back there tomorrow. But Charlie, the four-year-old, Charlie Ocean, um, took the training wheels off his bicycle, and he's pedaling and balancing for the first time, riding a bike. I kind of miss that I'm not there, but I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm sure he'll he's still in the in the moment of, of learning. But that's I know it was a very exciting thing for me, and I like that scene in Kramer vs. Kramer where Dustin Hoffman is uh, very movingly teaching his little Billy to do that. And these kids are something. Oh, everything comes into question. All, all manner of assumptions and life questions. And uh, yeah, it sort of enlarges your perspective. That's why I'm enjoying these books right now by Yuval Harari. They're very high altitude, large perspective, you know, uh, views on the whole business of being uh, human and uh, and the fleeting nature of any one of our lives and uh, where we may be going and and what we, he addresses specifically, what we might be, how we might be educating our children that might have any effective impact on their lives because we're at a rare moment of change right now that uh, may see them need to change careers several times in their lives and the whole model for you know training and then working may be different right now. I don't think Jeff Goldblum is on Twitter, but he is on Instagram at J-E-F-F-G-O-L-D-B-L-U-M. Jesse Thorne is on Twitter at capital J-E-S-S-E, capital T-H-O-R-N. Bullseye is on Twitter at capital B-U-L-L-S-E-Y-E. And you can reach NPR, capital N, capital P, capital R, and MaximumFun.org's Twitter site is capital M-A-X, capital F-U-N, capital H, capital Q. Or you can go to MaximumFun.org. It is M-A-X-I-M-U-M-F-U-N dot O-R-G. And it's time for our second burst of durst for the program. From July 26th, 2019, Robert S. Muller III, two, in which our intrepid correspondent remarks on the highly anticipated return of Robert S. Muller III. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words on the return of the special prosecutor. He's back, and now we have a better understanding of why he prefers to hide in the darkness. That's not to say seven hours of testimony in front of two congressional committees was boring, but the reluctant witness himself seemed to nod out a couple of times, along with many members of Congress and most of the viewing public. A few Republicans couldn't even summon the energy to pepper him with nonsensical questions. But it was the performance of Mueller himself that set the tone. Dial tone. The man is stiffer than Mitch McConnell wearing buttless chaps on a gay pride parade float. One of the problems is he doesn't seem to have a disingenuous bone in his body. We sent a Boy Scout to take out a vampire. 
The Democrats were looking for Van Helsing and got Dudley Do-Right. This is what happens when you send up the bat signal and Bruce Wayne's butler, Alfred, shows up. Republicans argue that Mueller shouldn't be allowed another bite of the apple, totally forgetting they established the precedent by taking multiple bites out of every apple in the Benghazi barrel. But they didn't have to worry. The 74-year-old's testimony was exactly what anybody who had paid attention to his report or press conference could have predicted. Most every question he either couldn't or wouldn't or didn't answer. No idea what the Democrats expected. That he would suddenly remember a smoking gun under a couch cushion or be seized by the irresistible urge to do the right thing or be struck by a bolt of conscience? They threw up a Hail Mary, and the quarterback fumbled the snap. One Democratic aide said it was important for Mueller to testify because if people didn't read the book, they'll watch the movie. But not even Spielberg could have saved this production. A motorcycle chase might have helped. For Succotash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, I'm Will Durst. This episode of Succotash is sponsored in part by TrumpPoetry.com, a chronological ode to a fake muse. Enjoy a rhyming spin on the news of the day every day, as well as over 500 archived daily verses thoroughly covering the White House, America, and the world with a sticky caramel coating that's impossible to remove. That's TrumPoetry.com. Everything you need to know in rhyming couplets. TrumpPoetry.com. Yes, TrumpPoetry.com, 100% real website that poses as our uh, a fake sponsor. I don't know if you caught that bit at the head of the show, but uh, we've never actually had a real sponsor. Uh, we've had two fake sponsors now that I'm aware of. Henderson's Pants was first, and um, I hope that TrumpPoetry.com doesn't get jealous of me naming them. <laughs> anyway, from TrumpPoetry.com, I got one from September the 1st. 2019. It's number 507. The earth filled with fire and flood. A gunman out looking for blood. Our leader's a curse who's just making it worse. A great day for smoking some bud. And then I chose the one for Labor Day. So that's uh, this year. It was September 2nd, 2019. It's uh, entry 506. It says, Makers, carriers, fixers, builders, sweepers. Those who sew and iron, serve and cook and clean who make it work and run behind the scene, and yet so disrespected by their keepers. Back-breaking, mind-numbing, and soul-destroying. On the line and on or off the clock. In factory, warehouse, construction site, and dock. The setters of the table we are enjoying. Much more than some great three-day weekend deal, this day we honor those who do the work. A meager tip-jar pittance of a perk, and from it, even then, the bosses steal. Our lives become a bit less of a fight when labor votes to stand tall and unite. Right? Right. And getting back into the clips portion of the show, I've got one for you that's uh, called The Future History of the British Isles. It is from Influencing Machine. So its description reads, Future History is a dark comedy sketch show that takes a sideways glance at the apocalypse, fake news, and mass ignorance hysteria. The end is nigh, so dig a hole. This is from the 5th of April, 2019. Future History, Episode 2. Uh, so this one is listed as two slash seven. So that's two of seven episodes. 
It says once government intelligence was able to link green protesters with anti-West terror cells based in Scotland, all credible of opposition to hydraulic fracturing, hydrofracturing, hydrofracking, fracking was defeated, leaving the entire rural perimeter of Nottinghamshire primed for development. Written by Hugh Diekman. I hope I am not pronouncing your name wrong, sir. It became a site of international interest. Busloads of Russian tourists undertook pilgrimages to the site, which had a £19 basic entry fee, with a £46 family day ticket deal that included secure parking, entry to all major exhibits, plus three complimentary shots at the shooting range, where customers had the chance to fire tennis balls at a frozen flock of wood pigeons suspended between trees with fishing wire. Dobro Pozhalovat! Welcome, friends, to Sutton Cum Laude. I am your guide for today. My name is Noah, and I run a very tight ship. Get it? Noah. Which is doubly ironic, because it was the water that killed everybody. <laughs> My rules for today are, have fun. And please, don't touch the exhibits, or you might get blood poisoning. Okay? Everybody ready? Walk this way. As we make our way down Town Street, please have a moment to take in the magnificent sight of Sutton's fracking wells, visible beyond the trees, like an army of well-meaning spiders, set to revitalise the area before unintentionally bringing about conditions of which they are not legally liable, leading to the irreversible decimation of the people of the village through slow and painful harrowing death. The Gate Inn, believed to originate back to the mid-1800s. The Gate Inn was the sole surviving public house in the village. The pub was fully refurbished in 2014 and again in 2018, which transformed the premises beyond recognition. Known for its rustic baked halloumi salad, homemade rustic Yorkshire pudding sandwich, locally sourced homemade rustic meatball pot and the chef pâté, which was served with homemade chutney and warm rustic bread. Please observe Brian, a regular to the gate for 42 years, trapped in the family room, clawing at his own eyes. I like to imagine him shouting out, Help! Please! Anybody! <laughs> but in reality, Brian wouldn't have an ounce of air left in him. Would anyone like a moment for a selfie? Ah, the village hall. The location for parish council meetings, the monthly quiz night, get fit sessions and computer club. At the time of embalming, it was Sutton Art Group's annual exhibition, the theme, Still Life. Observe Mavis, dunking a rich tea in a milky brew, her laddered tights and hairnet, years of memories wrought on her aged visage. Mavis was a well-known racist in the area. Dog walkers. Ah, now, look at this. Jeremy was quite a character in Sutton. Naturist, but naked year-round, come rain, shine, snow, or, well, death. I apologise about the state of his genitals. A group of North Korean visitors recently decided it was good luck to rub them. We've got our team working on a replacement. Sutton Primary School. If you're wondering about the costumes, the children were fundraising for the survivors of a shooting in the US, hence being dressed as famous American figures. Here we have 
Abraham Lincoln, playing in the sandpit with Kanye West. And over on the swings, Ellen DeGeneres and Oprah Winfrey, fighting over some kind of fidget spinner. On her own, soiling herself as the formaldehyde took hold, is Billie Jean King. If you'd follow me, I'll take you to the staff room, where you can meet George Bush, George W. Bush, and two Ronald McDonalds. You can reach out to the show on Twitter at future underscore show. That is F-U-T-U-R-E underscore S-H-O-W. The creator of the show uh, is at Hugh D. Mont, and that is at H-U-G-H-D-M-O-N-T. Its main website is www.futurehistoryshow.com, and you can also find it on futurehistoryshow.libson.com. That is F-U-T-U-R-E-S-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y-S-H-O-W dot Libsyn dot com. Our penultimate clip for the episode, it's Smoshcast from Ramble. This description says, join the Smosh family as we discuss current events, YouTube drama, give our unqualified and unsolicited advice, and whatever else is on our minds with Ian Hecox and a rotating panel of Smoshcast members, co-workers, and YouTuber guests. Cool. So, this clip is from episode 18, which is called Olivia's Bald Spot and How Defy Forced Us to Be Friends. Its description says, on this week's Smoshcast, Courtney, Olivia, and Mari open up about their struggles with stress and the pressure of being perfect, feeling replaceable on Smosh, and being pitted against each other at Defy. This clip is about that expendable feeling and how it was exacerbated by Defy Media's admitting as much. I think women grow up with this chip on our shoulders, and it's like it comes from so many different things, but I feel like somehow society has continuously have had us grow up with the thought that we're expendable. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, you can't do it? I'll find someone else who exactly. can. And it's like, you know, you and I came up w- with a dancing background, and it's very much like that. It's like, oh, you can't handle this part? There's a girl who has the exact same body shape as you, who has the same skill, who we can replace in a second. You yeah. are absolutely replaceable. replaceable. And in a lot of ways, like, I think we grow up with that mentality. And, you know, sometimes, like, schools reinforce that. Workplaces reinforce mm-hmm. that. And... It's it's important to understand what reinforces that in your life mm-hmm. and why. It's just I and to be honest, I felt very replaceable. And when we were at Defy, it felt like I was they like told there was us that. Yeah, yeah, they literally told us we can replace you easily, and that made me feel like I wasn't valuable. And that type of enforcement just makes you feel like you're not important, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, even no, even though no one's saying that to you, like, oh, you're not important, but then inside, we're sensitive people. And I think that, like, I would think that I'm like, okay, so I don't feel special in this position at all. Like, I feel like you can call another person in and just take my spot. Yeah. And this just made me feel insecure and, like, very lost, you know? Ian had talked about this one guy at Defy who, like, it felt very weird what his job position was. I remember having lunch with him one day. It was, like, in the new year uh, of of 2018. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, I think he was just trying to, like, get prepared for, like, p- possibly renewing contracts mm-hmm. a few months later. And he was, like, yeah, like, so how do you feel? And I was, like, you know, like, things feel kind of strange lately. Like, there's been layoffs. And, and you know, like, I'm starting to really, like, feel, like, the mortality of this job 
And he was like, well, you, you know, you should. And, mm. and, like, it's so weird, like, as a human being, yeah. just being, like, having that rug ripped under you. Because, like, okay, so then is what I'm doing meaningless right. to you? Because I don't feel like it was. Like, I think a lot of times it's, like, a form of power to make someone mm-hmm. feel like they're replaceable. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, in relationships even, it's, like, manipulative because mm-hmm. it's, like, I know I'm working my ass off and you're saying you could still easily replace me. And it's, like, I sometimes, like, don't believe that person. I don't believe that. It's, uh, like, straight up, like, Stockholm Syndrome is yeah, what we were going exactly. through. Where it's, like, we love being with each other so much that we take the abuse from people who aren't even in the room with us yeah. ever, who or, who never step foot in our office, but who have the power to tell us like, oh, we're going to start phasing you out, which is what they started telling me. And oh. I was like, cool. They actually said that to you? Yup. And I'm like, cool. The thing that I've been working on is not really ours. Would, cool. When did that happen? Was it, was it phasing out when they stopped Smosh Pit Weekly or was it later on in like just games stuff? It, it was games stuff. So it was it was basically like oh little little less little less like you know in in a more timely fashion of mm. like oh people won't notice sort of thing. Ugh. And it's like it's it's weird because it started to feel so far away from what we had all mm-hmm. you know put so much time and effort into, and it's I don't know it's incredible how we've been able to scoop scoop up everything and then like start over and Mm -hmm. like start like building Mm -hmm. this like mashed potato of like fun stuff and all the good stuff you know and it's and i think it's incredible that all the good stuff remained out of all that and i think this person that you're mentioning also told me that he would compare my work to another person's work within the company and it's like you should do it like this person because you should follow in this person's footsteps i'm like well this person's journey and their life is completely different than mine like we're not the same person, and and I don't like that type of authority, especially from someone who has not lived my life, who does not look like me, tell me how I should carry out my career and journey just because this other female did it right and he approved the way she did it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like I remember hearing that. I'm like, I'm sorry that I'm not doing something the way you envisioned my career to be like. And I'm like, but at the same time, I shouldn't feel apologetic about that because the thing is like we're instilled like this competitiveness especially amongst like women to Mm -hmm. it's like you compare biological yeah and it's like you i don't need someone to compare me to someone because i already feel a lot of insecurities Mm -hmm. within myself you know so it's like i remember feeling pretty down and i'm like why am i letting this person affect me you know and it's like we can all help each other and like great i admire the way you came up i admire the way you do your thing. Like, and I should also admire the way that I'm handling mm-hmm. whatever I'm doing. So that's so rough. That's like hearing a parent being like, why can't you be more like your sister? Exactly. And it's because yeah. I'm not my sister. And it's like, would I ever say that to another person? Like, hey, you should do this like this person. It's like, I thought, you know, we're all individuals. We do our own thing. And it's there's yeah. just so much more constructive ways of doing any kind of criticism for someone. You can reach out to Courtney Miller on Twitter at capital C-O underscore capital M-I-L-L. Olivia Sweet at capital O-L-I-V-I-A capital S-U-I. Mari Takahashi at Atomic Mari. That's capital A-T-O-M-I-C capital M-A-R-I. Now, if you hadn't heard about the recent hubbub regarding Defy Media and how it nearly killed Smosh, after you're done with this episode of Smoshcast, check out the first episode titled Defy Drama. 
It's quite an interesting story, especially for anybody who's thinking of making content on YouTube and hoping to go big one day. So it could happen to you. Um, or, I don't know, maybe it can't happen again. Or maybe there's there's more dominoes to fall that aren't directly related to Defy. Who knows? Who knows? Don't know. And our final clip for the show is The Underculture with James Adomian from Forever Dog. Its description reads, James Adomian and friends perform a surreal vision of our times populated by heroes and hucksters, produced by the Forever Dog Podcast Network. This clip is from July 25th, 2019. It is titled Paul Giamatti and Quincy Jones, and then in uh, parentheses it says with slash Jerry Minor. So the description reads, Paul Giamatti has been trying to get his podcast off the ground for a while now, and James has an exclusive copy of the 44th take of the pilot episode with special guest, with special guest Quincy Jones. Plus the world premiere of the trailer for Paul Giamatti's upcoming film about the ancient Greek myth of Sisyphus. And James chats with the very funny and talented Jerry Minor from Historical Roast, created by and starring James Adomian. Yes, James Adomian does probably one of the best um, Paul Giamatti impressions that I've ever heard. Prove me wrong. And so in this clip, Quincy Jones, as voiced by Jerry Minor, dishes on some famous people. Let me ask you, if I if I may, do, do you 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 talked about how the Beatles and some other iconic celebrities oh, were disappointing to you that this you and people were shocked. Now, can you tell us what was it about the Beatles that you didn't like? Was it their well, music or their style this, of playing? I can say this now, man. George Harrison. Um. <laughs> You know, there's scatolo- there's scatological, and then there's there's beyond. And um, I, I've never been freaked out. I am never going to hear my sweet lord the same again. <laughs> Man, I've never been freaked out. I've never been scared of anything. I'm I've, I'm not a coward, but this man, he'll put. Wow, I mean, like he I seems so quiet and tame. This, it, those Very are the polite. Ones. Those are the ones. Those are the ones, man. Those are the ones. What what that man will do with feces um, shouldn't shouldn't be even thought about. Well, what he did was make a fantastic <laughs> double album. All things must pass. Now, did, is, what, did all things great, was but... all things must pass? Was that the ethos for some of his <laughs> scatological work? This is no one's going to hear any of. I want to reiterate this. There's no one who's going to be listening. This is all. This is an internal pilot that my agent Dom is going to decide (laughs) what will be left in and cut out before any of it is released. Oh well, then if you can cut stuff out, man, I can talk about Paul because (laughs) Paul. And I'm still fucking Paul. I fucked Paul uh, last week. As a matter of fact, Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm certainly not Paul Giamatti because I've, <laughs> nobody's been fucking me in a while. I've basically been plugged up and told to just get thirsty before I'm ready to have any again. Listen, listen, man, if you ever want to get down, um, I go to a club every once in a while. I still go to a club in Hollywood. Now, a lot of these people might be... A private club in Hollywood. Yeah, a lot of them might be beyond, you know, uh, your, your, you know... It, a little bit older than your um, your milieu. I am. I am desperate. I am. Des- is this an el- is this an elderly elderly sexual dynamo secret <laughs> club in Hollywood? It's not. It's not really a secret. 
It's just, um, but a number of us get together and uh, underneath the Hollywood Athletic <laughs> Club, I'm guessing. <laughs> well, this place is in West Hollywood. It's, it's more of a retirement home um, to to actors and musicians. So um, there's a lot of creative types there. But um, man, you know, we we didn't invite you to. You can come down and. You can suck and fuck as much as you want to, man. That's more That's more leeway than anyone has ever given me. I, <laughs> I could just... I, mean, I have to ask permission, but I might... Am I allowed to show up on a leash with uh, my wife holding the leash? Man, it's, pre- it's preferable. Man, you show up on a leash, man. You know, the, you're, the, you're a newcomer. People were shocked at what the things that I did in the film, in the, uh, the, the show Billions, in the first episode and subsequent episodes. I'm in my characters introduced, being urinated on, being stepped on and taped. I, I, I'm, I'm slapped around and abused, and people are shocked, and they go, what did it take for you to accept this role, to allow this, as, you know, your reputation? And that was, that was, none of that was in the script. That, I brought that in the audition on the audition tape. That's me. That's that's you use sense memory, and that's all I know. That's why it always goes back straight to when they're like, "Do do a take for you." That's when I get on my knees in the fetal position and assume that I'm the cheeks are going to start being slapped in a way that many find some find sexually gratifying, but most find humorous. Like when you see a donkey or a chipmunk slapped. Ow! 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 Oftentimes I am told to slap myself. Yeah, you kind of remind me of Don Knotts, uh, <laughs> who was the definition. Listen, man, this dude was the definition. Are you of saying that voc- Are you saying that vocally I'm ranging a little <laughs> bit too much into the territory of Don Knotts, or you mean personality? Oh, well, that too. Uh, but I was. Well, thank I you for more, the note. I meant more in the shame, in the in the sexual shame, because that's that's what Don was into, man. He was just he he would he would have anybody humiliate me. Don Don would be in the corner um, with a sign that says "pee on me" in the party for the whole time, man. He would be there for three hours. Nobody ever talked to him. He just sit in the corner with a pee, pee on me" sign <laughs> stuck to him. That, that was, was that was was and, and was, and was Andy Griffith in attendance at these parties? As oh, well? you well. He would be the one peeing on him. See, I really, he, I he stepped in. I, I really walked into that. That's well. I mean, that's who the sign was for. Underculture has a Patreon, and it is at patreon.com forward slash the underculture. That is T H E U N D E R C U L T U R E. I will be spelling that uh, a couple more times, but in different ways. So, uh, on Instagram, you can follow it at underculturepod. That is capital U N D E R capital C U L T U R E capital P O D. And it is the underculture. And that is a capital on the T and a capital on the U by now you should know how to spell underculture and at the underculture on Facebook. I don't know that Facebook does adding, but whatever I, who am I? Oh, and forever dog is it's forever dog productions. So that is F O R E V E R D O G P R O D U C T I O N S dot C O M. And then there's a bunch of other stuff. So, Guest Jerry Minor can be reached on Twitter at Willie for Crack. That is capital W I L L I E F O R C R A C K. And James and Domian can be reached at capital J A, sorry, capital J, capital A, D O M I A N. And before we get going this evening, it is the third and final Burst O Durst 
on offer tonight. It is from August 2nd, 2019. It's called The Best Words, in which our intrepid correspondent deciphers a way to tell when politicians are working us. Their lips are moving. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words about the best words. Not Donald Trump's best words, because although he keeps saying he's got them, we never get to see or hear them. He probably realizes how precious they are and keeps them locked up safe in order not to waste them. Mostly discussing the Democrats' best words here, because that's what they were slinging at each other in the debates last week. Best words to captivate the best people who are, of course, the best voters. And as we have seen, those words can be inspirational, aspirational, confrontational, non-denominational, or generational, but are definitely not necessarily connected to reality one bit, and often sort of predictable. Every single one of these candidates is pro-good, anti-bad, and they're on the side of the angels, not the demons, the cops, not the criminals. They're against cancer. They love families. Education? Yes, indeed. They're big fans. Corruption? Nope. Not in favor at all. And on that, you can quote them. The future? That, my friends, is yet to come. And something we must all work towards. Together. Because working together is the only pathway to the future. Healthcare is good, but only good healthcare. Not bad healthcare. Or insufficient healthcare. Or poorly administered health care. Let's face it, bad health care is bad. Universal health care can be good or bad. So we want the good kind. And we're definitely going to see more stuff like free tuition and a strong defense and border security and a powerhouse economy and clean air and water and no guns at all. With what? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Never mind. Erase, erase. <clears throat> You know what this country needs? More good stuff. And a lot less bad stuff. So, let's get that done, shall we? How? Together. For Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, I'm Will Durst. You can reach out to Will Durst on Twitter at W-I-L-L-D-U-R-S-T. And you can go to WillDurst.com for the Will Durst Journal, which is comedy for people who read or know someone who does. And there it is. One show down, four to go in this third and perhaps final season of Sakatash, the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast. Again, I want to thank you for listening. Whether you are a first-time listener, a long-time listener, a recent listener, or whatever else would be in that pie chart or Venn diagram, just thank you. I'm dedicating this episode to you. It's an exciting time to be a soundcaster, from what I understand, and I look forward to hearing your soundcast someday. It's likely I will, because I started all this as a listener myself. I've met some amazing people, and I'm grateful for their having spent time with me in any capacity. I also believe that it's possible that a hiatus of the show is essentially positive. I don't really want to dwell on it anymore this episode, so I can't say it enough. Thank you for listening. And also, thank you for rating and reviewing the show on iTunes, or whatever it's called now. Apple Podcasts, I think, or something. Okay, I took a moment to check, and that's more or less accurate. So until next time, remember that if you've enjoyed your time here, perhaps share that feeling with others, so that they might also know the show that is Sakatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast. When you share us, you show us love. And that is what we mean when we ask you to please... Pass the Sakatash. You've been listening to Suckatash Clips, the comedy soundcast soundcast with your host, Tyson Saner. 
Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on Donder, on Blitzen, on iHeartRadio, and on... <laughs> the Laughable App. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at TysonSainer at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our toll-call number, 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us by using our direct upload link at itail.com slash you slash Suckatash. Production of Suckatash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, hosted by Tyson Saner. Our executive producer is Mark Hershon. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye. Goodbye.